Hello and welcome to Global Council's call, where we will unpack the state of the EU speech delivered by the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, earlier this week. My name is Ana Martinez and I'm the EU Practice Director. And I am joined today by two of my colleagues, Jazz and Alessandro. Jazz is a senior associate in the energy practice who will focus on the Commission's energy package. And Alessandro is an associate director, director focusing on EU trade policy. And uh, he will give us a sense of the Commission's plans on open strategic autonomy and what this means in practice. Since 2019, uh, the von der Leyen Commission has had to shift priorities to respond to two crises. The first one, as we can all remember, was the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and most recently the war in Ukraine. Um, the latter one and its implications, the ramifications, including inflation and the energy crisis were at the core of von der Leyen's third State of the Union speech. So let me start with a question to you, Jazz. Following the State of the Union speech, the Commission proposed emergency energy market interventions. Can you uh, tell us what are the key elements of what was put forward? Thanks, Anna. There are broadly three key proposals on the table. One, a market revenue cap for electricity produced from non-gas producers, such as uh, renewables, nuclear, coal, at 180 megawatts per hour, which the revenues will be redirected to households and consumers, and also used for renewables investment. Second, solidarity contribution uh, levied at 33% of the surplus profits of fossil fuel companies, uh, and thirdly, around demand reduction. So this is building on the EU's previous commitment to reduce gas consumption by 15% uh, by fixing on the electricity sector, with regards to a 5% reduction in peak uh, electricity consumption at peak time, with further measures to look at that 10% over the broader period. Um, I should also say, in addition to that, there are two key uh, proposals which weren't sort of broadly part of the package, but are still in play, one of which is regarding liquidity, and we expect further um, technical advice of the Commission to come on the 29th of September. And then the second, which we'll come on to in the discussion, I'm sure, is around a gas price cap. So the Commission, uh, on the line, uh, notably left that out in her speech, but hinted at that with regards to work with other suppliers, such as Norway, to lower the gas price cap. So in effect, if we look at where we were compared to a week ago where we had a five-point plan, uh, we have a, a three out of a five-point plan on the, the table. Thank you, Jazz. And during the discussions uh, around energy that we have seen in Brussels and taking over the headlines in the media, there's also been a lot of discussion about member states and how they position themselves. So where, where do member states see eye to eye and where do we expect there will be more differences in, in views? So on where member states see eye to eye, uh, I think broadly the theme around solidarity, solidarity with regards to 
as member states, but also at the EU level, more needs to be done to cushion the impact of rising energy prices for both households and businesses that are feeding the, the burden of, of, of soaring energy costs. Uh, and so the proposals that the Commission has put forward on the, the table to address those um, expect to see, while the detail itself will be expect debate at the next emergency energy meeting. I think the recognition there's need for a swift and urgent action, I think there's broadly consensus around that. But on where um, member states, I would say, perhaps see less eye to eye, and I think we'll see areas of divergence in the, the coming weeks. Um, I think one is noticeably around a gas price cap. So the commission is very is keen to focus this on uh, a price cap on Russian gas by pipeline uh, and not at kind of uh, all gas imported into the, the EU. Uh, ultimately, the Commission is taking the position it wants to uh, minimise price impacts uh, on incentives to reduce demand because ultimately demand reduction is needed over the coming winter to tackle the shortfall in Russian gas. So I think that will be a big line of divergence uh, and we're seeing this proposals, uh, vocal opponents such as Spain and Portugal uh, and Belgium, and I will expect to see that rumble through not just the next emergency energy ministers meeting, but also the next EU uh, council on the 6th of October. And then the second one, which sits outside the package but is linked to the debate, is around this uh, issue of market reform. And I think what's been quite notable is Mondelein has really... Uh, shifted the, the Commission's position a bit on this over the, the, the past few months. The Commission went from saying the, the market liberalisation has worked and we'll look at the issue of reform in, in the coming period to the market is no longer fit for purpose and we need to accelerate work to decouple uh, electricity uh, from, from gas prices. Uh, and this is a debate pushed, particularly by Spain, Portugal and also Greece. And I expect this, uh, the divergence over the, the pace of reform to continue alongside these discussions you're you, you're seeing uh and i think that that that, that is a key issue we'll need to watch over the coming weeks um it's it's very interesting how energy has also uh become a center and and very prominent when it comes to open strategic autonomy and the the, the definition we've seen has shifted slightly over the years um where in the past it was about uh us uh and china and becoming more independent but now uh, it's it's moved more to the eu's reliance on on russian gas um but it seems like the fund the Lion Commission has not forgotten the lessons learned maybe from, from the pandemic um, and has also focused on other strategic sectors. Uh, we saw von der Leyen announcing the creation of a new European sovereignty fund and the introduction of uh, the European Critical Raw Materials Act. Alessandro, maybe uh, now turning to you, how significant is this move? And what does it tell us about the direction the European Commission has taken when it comes to open strategic autonomy? I mean, I think, uh, you know, to fully appreciate and assess the significance of it, we will, of course, need to see the, the actual details and not just uh, quite high level announcements. But I think what really was uh, uh, interesting from the speech, I think that it seems to me that the European Commission is moving from words to, to practice. And I say that because I think uh, in this state of the union, there was little to, um, to no explicit reference to strategic autonomy or European sovereignty. 
uh, which instead in the text of the last two State of the Unions were quite heavily featured. Instead, what we are started to look is, um, is a, a much more clear indication of how uh, Ursula von der Leyen intends to uh, put uh, open strategic autonomy into practice. And you know, if you look at the, the announcements, we have a, a very clear uh, and concrete set of deliverables for, for 2023. Uh, we underline the importance of increasing finances for important projects of common European interest, but as you also mentioned, these uh, kind of ill-defined um, EU sovereignty fund, but also uh, the European uh, Critical Raw Materials Act. And I think, <clears throat> although we don't have a lot of details yet, we can think about it as probably the continuation from uh, the European Chips Act of last year. Um, the Critical Raw Materials Act is nothing particularly new uh, in the sense that uh, it's been in the making for quite a few months and Commissioner Breton has been talking about this uh, throughout uh, the summer. Uh, but I think it gives a very good example of how open strategic autonomy can work in practice, because of course, given the, the, the nature itself of uh, supply chains in critical raw materials, uh, it requires a certain level of openness uh, and cooperation with uh, trade partners, but there is also, of course, uh, quite a lot of focus on domestic, uh, especially industrial policy tools, uh, to support the domestic uh, uh, capacity uh, in, in this sector. Um, of course, uh, already Brayton already stressed that uh, the trade diversification element is clearly not enough. And that's why we, we could expect to see uh, a much more focus on the strategic autonomy part. So uh, the support for strategic projects in the supply chain, in the production, in the refining, but also stockpiling and uh, building on reserves. And I think uh, going back to your initial question about you know, what is the significance of this announcement, I think uh, while the, as I would say, the trade diversification element, and especially the reference to working with like-minded partners uh, sounds to me uh, quite aspirational, um, on the other end, the um, essentially the unilateral industrial policy tools that have been um, proposed are very practical, very material, and they really seek to um, uh, to give the Commission a greater role and a greater intervention in supply chains and the economy. That's very interesting. And how about trade? It was not an area that was particularly prominent, I would say, in the in the speech. But does this actually mean that trade will not be a priority for the Commission? Partly disagree. I think um, you know, uh, to a certain extent, trade was. Uh, present, certainly more than the previous couple of years in the State of the Union. And I think it will be, uh, to a certain extent, a, a priority in 2023. I mean, von der Leyen mentioned uh, a series and a list of uh, trade agreements and trade negotiations that she's keen to move forward. Um, and that's going to be the focus on, on the trade open agenda for 2023. Uh, but I have two main observations on on her, on her announcement and her speech on this area. Uh, first of all, the, the push for um, trade liberalization, as many observers have underlined, I think is a bit um, overstated. Uh, if, if we look at the list of, of trading partners, she wants to move forward uh, the, the FTA negotiation and agreements. Uh, it's it's a, a, the same list that we, we, we knew before. 
there is no ambition for for new um, FTA negotiations apart from the ones that have been uh, already been started. And for example, there was no mention around Mercosur, which I think is quite interesting, especially as she probably seeks uh, 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 potential re-election in a couple of years' time. Um, I think uh, the second element is that uh, it gives the announcement, essentially, and the, the statement gives another proof of the fact that trade policy is increasingly seen as uh, a tool and an instrument to achieve wider policy objectives. And in particular, I think, a reference to push and exporting environmental and labor and social standards abroad is quite relevant. And it's quite relevant, especially, uh, uh, and I think it's going to be well received in Berlin if we link it back to the uh, comments and statements that we just heard yesterday from the economy minister in Germany, uh, Robert Habecht, uh, which essentially said after the G7 trade minister meeting that uh, trade should look um, uh, especially at sustainability and less about being focused less about on um, uh, reducing uh, rules and standards but rather increasing um, environmental commitments and, and liberalized commitments. So I think 2023 uh, there's going to be a focus on trade but it's going to be uh, slightly different than what we've been used to uh, in the past. Thank you, Alessandro. Um, maybe going back to you, Jazz, on energy, there was also a mention of a European hydrogen bank. Uh, how significant is this and what is the potential impact for, for businesses? So I think the European hydrogen bank is a, is a step forward in the right direction. It represents a continuation of a number of commission initiatives we've seen, uh, particularly over the last six months, to uh, seize uh, first move advantage in the race for hydrogen. The commission in Europe very much see uh, initiative driven by Timmermans hydrogen as a key transitional technology in the energy transition. And so I think it's important to view the announcement of the hydrogen bank as a continuation of a range of other steps around funding certainty, around contracts for difference. We have, we're, we're expecting to see proposals for further um, state aid projects and common interests. Um, so, so I think for, for businesses, it gives a welcome uh, extra degree of funding certainty in Europe's commitment to, to hydrogen and that hydrogen being a key part of the repower EU plan to double down on the, the green transition. Um, however, for investors, I think the... And as you say, the hydrogen bank uh, will be financed with money from the EU innovation fund around three billion euros. And um, the key question that the Commission will need to address to give that extra certainty for investors around definition. So we've got two delegated acts uh, at the work in, in the works at the moment around additionality when uh, there is a phase in of uh, uh, of the hydrogen that's re required the definition of hydrogen for, for the screen and um, but also our methodology and the, the, the thresholds and we were yet to see further movements on those two key bits of legislation to set the definition of what is um renewable what is green hydrogen and what is low carbon hydrogen and i think that is really important to give uh, a greater investor confidence uh in creating that hydrogen market that Europe wants to, to seek. And I should say alongside that, there's also infrastructure as well. But that definition point, I think, is really important. We also got a question, Alessandro, around 
what the how how you can interpret uh, the speech when it comes to the EU US relationship. Why what would you say about that? I mean, it's a good question. I think um, the US uh, was probably less prominent that. Um, uh, than previous uh, State of the Union addresses. And I, th I think in particular, the last one last year, uh, there was a lot about uh, strengthening the transatlantic cooperation, um, how the EU and US can be stronger together, uh, the importance of the role of the TTC. Um, so really last year, there was a lot uh, on the US, and I think this year slightly less, and not because Around the line, forgot about the US. I think there was some reference around working together uh, in the external agenda, especially around uh, countering China influence uh, abroad through, for example, uh, infrastructural projects uh, under the, the uh, Global uh, Gateway Initiative and, and similar initiative in uh, G7 uh, uh, formats. Uh, I think um, it's probably. Uh, early to say that uh, the honeymoon uh, between uh, uh, the Biden administration and von der Leyen commission is over, but definitely von der Leyen was much more focused on other uh, external audiences uh, compared to Washington. I think uh, this might be partly due to the fact that the two sides are now, especially from a trade perspective, having some uncomfortable conversations around uh, tax incentives that have been introduced in the US uh, for electric vehicles made uh, uh, in the US, uh, which of course uh, has created quite a lot of um, concerns in the EU uh, industry, but also EU member states. Uh, and potentially this could be quite a, you know, a challenging uh, issue uh, and it would be definitely a test for the transatlantic agenda and especially going forward uh, for this kind of uh, infrastructure that has been built around the TTC that has created definitely political momentum uh, for the two sides to cooperate, but we'll need to see how it uh, managed to limit and avoid that um, disputes uh, kind of spill over in, in fully fledged uh, trade uh, trade wars. When you talk about disagreements uh, between the EU and the US, uh, there were also some disagreements when it comes to how the EU views China, especially maybe how member states view China. Uh, but what, what would you say about the future relationship then between the EU and, and China? How's that looking? The, I mean, the, the speech again was quite um, insightful to a certain extent on, on that. Uh, Clearly, China uh, remains at the top of the mind of uh, EU policymakers, uh, von der Leyen included. Uh, I think um, there is a, a recognition that <clears throat> dependencies that uh, we've seen for oil and gas in Russia, uh, um, there is actually a concrete risk that can be replicated for other sectors, including raw materials uh, with China. And that's why the, the European Commission, I would probably uh, EU member states are taking a much more a pragmatic approach on how they uh, interact uh, with Beijing. And I think uh, what we are going to see more broadly is a much more uh, assertive and, and cautious uh, policy towards uh, towards China. Uh, this is probably also be uh, going to be driven by 
Berlin. Um, if we think about uh, an upcoming, for example, um, China strategy that is going to be uh, put forward by the German government, uh, led by uh, the Greens uh, Foreign Affairs and Economy Minister, we can expect a bit the, the EU uh, approach going more closely uh, to uh, the expectation of the US, though I don't think we are at the stage that the two sides see um, high to eye on how to engage with China. I think uh, in the EU there is still a lot of um, more economic pragmatism and the realization that um, large member states in particular are very much reliant on uh, the economic relationship with China. Thank you, Alessandro. Maybe one last question, uh, going back to energy. Uh, it's a topic that will remain in the agenda for the rest of the year into 2023. I'm sure it's in everyone's minds in terms of businesses uh, listening today. Jazz, can you give us a sense of what are the uh, immediate milestones, uh, the, the key dates uh, that we should be looking out for? So, and I think it's it's important to look at this both in the uh, when we're looking at this period, the short and the the immediate term. So over the, the kind of coming few weeks and the the short term, we will have the emergency energy ministers meeting on the thirtieth of September, which will just to go, which will where member states will debate the Commission's proposals. The, the three areas that I discussed around demand reduction in the market, revenue cap for non-gas producers and the solidarity contribution. Uh, and we expect there'll be some minor tweaks, but that will be um, voted through um, these using Article 122 to do that by qualified majority voting. Um, so I think that's the first milestone. The second milestone will be around the, the EU Council and the debates around the, the gas price cap. Uh, and then we have uh, the, the heating, beginning of the heating season. And I think between now and the end of the year, um, you know, it'll be a, it will be a tough winter. Uh, the Commission's view is based on the proposals to reduce demand both of gas and electricity, um, it will it will be enough, but it will be politically painful, and we'll see this in debates at member states level in the coming winter in particular. Um, Germany, um, with regards to, to gas rationing, so I think seeing how those developments play out, but then as we go into Q1, and I think this is really important in my point around the short term and medium term, is alongside this, how are we looking at um, tweaking our electricity market to make it fit for the next phase of the energy transition. And I think there's a real danger here that we make um, emergency in, uh, political interventions um, or, uh, almost uh, jeopardizing actually what has been until the current crisis a well-functioning market. It was set up for liberalization. Uh, the market has done some very good things with regards to investment in renew renewables. It does need tweaks, but I think it's important as we're focusing on the short term and the, the Commission is doing this. I think the role of businesses, I, I, I think, is in making their arguments both at the national level, but also with the, the Commission, is to make sure that those debates on the reform and the long term are done in a properly considered way and that we're sending the right price signals and not creating unintended consequences. Um, because we have a market that is working, functioning well, um, but we need to make sure it's tweak to reflect a greater share of renewables. So things like, uh, you know, if we want to reduce electricity demand, how do we have 
time uh, time of use uh, tariffs for peak and non-peak hours. So I think uh, those would be the milestones I would pick up at that point around market design and ensuring we don't quote throw the baby out of the bathwater. I think is will be really important. Thank you, Jess. We're lucky to have you tracking these uh, topics. <laughs> um, thank you both, Alessandro, Jazz. This was a very uh, interesting conversation. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and, and, and insights. Uh, I hope uh, those listening also found this insightful. If uh, there are questions that we didn't get a chance to answer today, please feel free to reach out to us directly. You can find our contact details on our website. But for now, thank you very much for joining us and hope to see you very soon. <laughs>